The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning into the show today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite themes. Uh, we have had several guests talk about this, this topic, the topic of leadership in museums. And in preparing for the show, I was actually going back uh, over the last couple of years and listening to some of my previous guests talk about leadership. They all have very interesting things to say and, and insights. But, you know, the truth is, is that I think for all of its importance and all of the um, discussions we have, I think it's true to say that its definition remains elusive. And I think, as with many topics uh, that we talk about on this show and in our museum community, that it has to do with vocabulary, using the right vocabulary. What are we really talking about? Defining our terms. And so with that in mind, I think you will agree with me that I have the best person in probably the entire museum community to help us build our leadership vocabulary. And so today I am thrilled to welcome to the show Jerry Thomas. Many of you know Jerry. She is the president of Jerry Thomas, uh, Thomas and Associates out of New York City, uh, a staffing, consulting, and professional development um, business for museums, universities, and art businesses internationally and nationally. Jerry, of course, will share with us her career path and how she started her business, but I know that she will be very humble, so let me brag on her just a little bit. Uh, Her organization, her consulting practice includes uh, such clients as the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Christie's, um, the Studio Museum in Harlem. You'll you'll remember, actually, we talked about that last uh, week with Sarah uh, Khan. And she is also a member of the Leadership Circle of Art Table, which is the truly the prestigious group of professional women in the arts. Uh, so join me in welcoming Jerry to the show today. Thank you, Carol. 
Jerry, so uh, please, if you would, just describe your career history and highlight uh, those experiences that have really impacted your thoughts about uh, museums. Thank you so much. Um, I always tell my students and those people who come to us for advice is that life and your career are really a matter of the three C's, choice, chance, and circumstance. And without going too far back in ancient history, I'm from Chicago and I started out studying sociology. I'm so interested in organizations and how they work, and to this day I love to construct organizational charts. Then I took an elective called Far Eastern Art, and I was hooked. I changed my major to art history, and I came to New York, enrolled in a Ph.D. program in Chinese art history at Columbia. I never finished, and one of the reasons was that I had to work. And, by the way, the major scholarship went to a man whose family had an important art collection. I worked for a while at NBC in advertising and promotion, but was dying to get back into museums. And in 1980, I worked as the administrator of the Bronx Museum and then at the New Museum of Contemporary Art with Marsha Tucker. Marsha asked me to construct a round organizational chart so that we could do away with hierarchy. It was round, but it was still hierarchical. I then worked as a registrar on a major exhibition of Islamic art that toured the country. I had a gallery of contemporary Chinese art and then moved to New Zealand where I volunteered at the National Gallery. There, I gave tours of the Chinese terracotta warriors. And after the exhibition, the director asked if I wanted to be their public relations officer. And, of course, I said, sure. After a year or two, I joined the initial planning team of Te Papa, the national institution, worked on the initial concept document with the government and the museum team, um, and it was a wonderful experience. I also then was also able to do some analysis of their Asian collections. When I came back to New York, I was hired at the Jewish Museum and became responsible for the administration of exhibitions and collections. My experience um, in the field for so long has inspired a book that I'm writing with a working title of The Eternal Return, My Life in Arts and Culture. I feel that we are in the fourth, or at least I am, emanation of issues that were talked about when I started, and those were leadership and diversity, compensation, um, being the most prevalent. That's fabulous. And, uh, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, Jerry, I, I've uh, known you and mm. uh, followed your career and certainly know of the work that you're doing. But all of the other things about your your background that I didn't know. And I think that, that uh, well, I just, I always find that interesting. And I know there are a lot of students that watch this program and you uh, also teach at uh, NYU. And we both uh, can say that, that uh, one's career is the collection of uh, experiences that we've had. And, and even though they may have very disparate job titles, I find that everything and, you know, when I look back on, on my career, everything really sort of fits into place. You know, I'm, I'm where I am because of all of these uh, experiences and the even the early experiences find a way of coming into my current work. So so thank you very much for, for sharing that and you being know, a that great... Is, that is so true, Carol. Um, you know, the Chinese say that we, there are many red threads in your life. Um, red threads if you're for your partner in your life, red thread for your life. And we, I do tell people and my students 
is that, you know, find that red thread. You know, here I am starting in sociology, going through all of the arts, working in museums, and what do I do now? I'm actually back looking at organizations, um, recruiting people, and seeing how the organizations and museums can work best. So... Great. Oh, I, I'm going to remember that, that red thread analogy. Yes. That's wonderful. So what led you to start your own company? Well, um, burnout was one, um, <laughs> but also compensation. And I think those are still issues for the field. Um, I took a breath um, and kind of realized that at the time I wanted and needed things like property, an apartment, more resources, time, uh, things like that. So two other women colleagues in the arts and I were about in the same place um, and thought a lot about what the field might need. So we spoke to other people in the museums um, and asked if they'd ever use a staffing agency because at the time there were only very, very big staffing agencies. And of course everybody said, oh no, we'd never use one. Well, we went ahead anyway um, and started a staffing agency for all nonprofits, including the arts. And we flooded museums and our colleagues with promotional material. MoMA became our first client. Um, after two years, I sold my shares to be on my own and focus entirely on arts and culture. And here we are 16 years later. That's fabulous. And of course, uh, this theme of uh, compensation, I think we're going to come back to because I really Mm. don't think that we can talk about leadership uh, and staffing without uh, dealing with the elephants in the room, which is... Uh, which is compensation, and then we wonder why we don't have a more diverse workforce. Uh, but um, but before we do that, I'm really, really interested uh, just to uh, dig down into the weeds a little bit. So mm-hmm. how, how did you, I mean, your services now involve many other things other than just staffing. And I, so how did, how did you, you know, sort of build those services up? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to say that uh, the American uh, Alliance of Museums, it was a American Association of Museums at the time, um, I actually started um, lecturing at conferences or being on panels. And I remember in 1998, I think I was in New, New Orleans, and I was giving a talk on just these issues we're talking about, on compensation and diversity. And we've been talking about these things, at least in my life, as I said, four times now. Um, and we must, we're getting better at it, um, but we're still not there. Um, so I think through those lectures and those um, uh, being on panels, I was also on the first diversity coalition that John Swow had um, started at AAM. And so we, I had a lot of colleagues um, and I who were speaking about these issues. I do remember in New Orleans being looking out over these 400 people, and um, we were talking about compensation, and I said how it's really quite easy. You build a budget, and you go and raise the money for it. And I think that that is actually true. (laughs) Um, But then just in terms of services, I I think I was very good at figuring out what people needed. Um, And because the first agency that I started in, my own company now, I think because we were new um, and there wasn't a lot of uh, people doing this in the field. Um, And people were using consultants, as you know. Um, And I think that I was very fortunate to, as I said, in one of the three C's, 
chance, um, you know, come across people who needed something, and I was able to help them. Well, I think you're being very modest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, You you did identify. You you listen clearly. You listen very carefully uh, to the to the field uh, and to the market, uh, but. If you had listened too much, you wouldn't have started your business because museums are always, I always saying, well, no, we don't need that. Uh, <laughs> staffing seems to be the thing where they, where uh, unfortunately, I think organizations can put their least amount mm-hmm. of it, uh, amount of attention, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit too because. Sure. Um, because it it does seem to be the the one one area both in compensation and uh, staff development that seems to still be lacking. So, mm-hmm. you have done a great job not only in building a uh, a, a great uh, and very strong business, but I think in doing so you are also elevating uh, that that part of staffing and leadership to a higher plane and I just wanted to uh, uh, underscore that that for you I think we get so close to our own businesses sometimes it takes someone else to say hey you're really doing something great for the field whether whether they're your client or not I think you're elevating the whole conversation so thank you very very much on behalf of all of us well, thank you, Carol. That's fantastic. You should be here by my side every day. I could use that. <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, so let's just, um, we have a couple of minutes before our first break. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I said at the beginning of the show that we're going to talk about leadership and we need a vocabulary to talk about mm-hmm. that. So how do you define leadership? Well, um, I think it's... Um, uh, the terms are simple, but I don't think it's easy. Um, I think leadership is all about inspiring others to share a common vision and to achieve group goals. Um, it also is about strengthening other people's abilities to excel. Um, and I think that that really is the crux of leadership. Um, I believe that, you know, we only are here in life for two reasons. One is to give and get love, and the other one is to reach our fullest potential. And in the workplace, that really is what leadership is about, helping people reach their fullest potential, and in museums in particularly, having that then emanate to the constituents and the communities. It, you know, I, I you're right. It, it It's a... You know, words are simple, actions are are more challenging, Mm -hmm. but I've got to say that even in many of the discussions that I've had on this program with with great guests talking about leadership, I really don't think that anyone else emphasizes what you do, and I've read some of your materials as well and some of the papers that, that you've written, that leadership is about helping others reach their potential. Absolutely. And I I think that that's a that is the piece that still seems to be missing in many of the uh, in in many in many organizations and many discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering so so 
as you're working with your students and perhaps some of your clients, how how do you help them understand mm-hmm. that? That it's not about them, it's not about the board, it's about bringing everybody else up. Well, first of all, there's no gene called leadership, um, so leadership can be learned and taught. And over the years, um, with many of the things we've worked with on with organizations and individual museums, one of the key things that we start with is really about communications. I think some of the issues, um, and I think this is a very important part of leadership, is that we all communicate and give and get information in different kinds of ways. And once we understand that, so much of the conflict and butting of heads in museums that occurs maybe less so now, um, certainly when I was in, the, in, in working in museums. Once you understand someone's communication style, a lot of the emotional part of working in museums goes away. Then you learn that you need to flex your communication style in order to be effective, not just to be right. And actually, I've had to learn that along the way. There were times when I just wanted to be right, but that really wasn't getting me to the goal or to me, helping me personally. So we have a popular program called Empowering Leaders in Every Department. Um, it really focuses on that there's, it's really no longer a matter of top-down leadership, but the ability to keep the eye on the prize, so to speak, and provide staff with tools to help them reach that and to serve their audiences. You know, it reminds me so much of talking about something that it, that uh, we keep coming back to is, is that is the approach that I learned when I was at the Museum Management Institute out at the Getty mm-hmm. of uh, you know, trying to, to build cohesive teams. And here mm-hmm. we are still, and that was quite a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. here we are still trying to make that magic sauce. <laughs> It's true. And, um, you know, these are things that I wonder about all the time. You know, when uh, will we get it right? Or is it really all about change? Or is it generational? Or is it all of those things? And how can we make them better environments for everyone? Well, those are intriguing questions. And when we come back from break, maybe you and I will delve into some of those. All right, uh, great. And uh, so we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, more with Jerry Thomas talking about leadership. Remember that you can always reach me at carol.bossard at verizon.net or send me a tweet at at MuseWrite. I'd love to hear from all of you. I'd like to know how you're thinking a show went. Uh, you are always inspiring me with new ideas and new thoughts and great suggestions for guests. And that's what keeps me going. So I appreciate appreciate all of you that listen and connect with me on a weekly basis. We will be back in a moment with Jerry Thomas. Stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. 
And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Uh, today I'm talking with Jerry Thomas, of uh, president of Thomas & Associates, consulting uh, and providing staff training, hiring, and consulting uh, in uh, uh, staff and leadership uh, development. And right before we went on break, Jerry was uh, ruminating a bit with me about why leadership uh, seems so obvious and yet is so difficult to achieve. And one thing you said, uh, Jerry, that I just bears repeating because it really, it, it, it struck a chord. It's been one of my um, you know, values, I suppose. And that is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And, uh, <laughs> or effective. <laughs> or effective. And I, 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 yes, in a business situation, happiness maybe isn't, isn't the right metric, but effective. <laughs> and I think uh, for those of us who do have strong vision, we're strong mm-hmm. people, we, we're, uh, we want to share uh, our, our love, our passion, our ideas, but we don't always have to be the right and only right answer in the room and I think when do you find or how how do you help people to sort of take that breath and realize that life is not going to stop if wait a minute and allow other ideas to enter the room Well, um, we were talking about this communications training and empowering leaders in every department, that once people learn their communication style, then we do a number of activities. And, you know, we break people up into styles. um, Our tool is not as serious as a Myers-Briggs, but it's a very quick way to assess how you give and get information. And then, you know, we could do something like, you know, put all of the director types in a group or the mediator types who end up being mostly museum education people and the strategist types and the presenter types 
who are the cheerleaders, but they're not always great at follow-up, um, but you need those in the organization as well. And then we do some exercises depending on the objective of the organization. And one of those exercises could be, you know, describing your own style, but describing the museum as something like this old house renovation, like what is working, what isn't working. And people are astounded to see who the kinds of people who are in these groups. And I would say that the majority of people with this tool, it really rings true of how they give and get communication. And then we work on whatever issues we can. For one museum in Washington, for instance, no one was really speaking to one another. The business side of the museum was um, always angry at the, quote, creative side of the museum who could never get things to them on time. So, you know, once you understand um, people, their roles, and the way they communicate, it really um, becomes very organic in the organization. The key, though, is to take what you're doing in the sessions and keep it going when you're out of the session. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I guess I have, I have two parallel questions to follow up on, on that. Uh, and one is, you know, we talk sometimes about a crisis in leadership, uh, and I'm just wondering, do you see, I mean, crisis is a big word and, and mm-hmm. sort of a dramatic word. It, you know, it sounds great on the Washington Post headline, but in your practice, do you really see, are we in a crisis or just a change? Um, you know, the other C that I talk about is change. You know, if you are averse to change, you shouldn't be in museum life because it is change. You know, theories change, people change, demographics change. Uh, disasters help uh, make change as well. So, you know, being about change is what we are all in. I think when we talk about crisis, again, um, going with you of how you def- we define these terms, um, there is a couple of things that are happening. Um, there's much more turnover um, in directors of museums than there have been in the past. Uh, I think part of that is generational. I think part of that is people who want a better work-life balance, uh, et cetera. So uh, I was recently at a um, panel discussion where people were talking about leadership and diversity. The panel was all Caucasian, and the moderator was Caucasian. Um, and um, it was interesting because there was a very young new director in a contemporary art museum on the West Coast who said, well, you know, maybe I'll, be, I'll do this for a while and I might not be a museum director in three or four years. So I think that there's these types of things that are happening. And I don't think there's, you know, is there a solution to this? Do we want people to stay in the same job for 30 years as we did? Is that even possible, given whatever is happening? Um, I know that there's a lot of, uh, especially in the mid-range of museums, administrative staff, you know, um, are uh, very often their salaries um, are still lower, but um, are not as uh, high in the, as they are in the private sector. And then the top is getting better in terms of compensation. But I think the middle, just like the middle class in America, and we're never separate what's happening in the wider society, um, is really suffering. I have people come to me all the time about, you know, they love what they do in museums, but they just can't make a living. They can't have what they need. They can't raise their children, et cetera. So 
I guess I keep coming back to the compensation thing. I mean, it isn't the only reason. Um, but I think it's really tied up, and I think compensation and diversity are tied together. Most people want their kids to be doctors, lawyers, and heads of time mourner. A uh, museum um, career, just financially, isn't viable for many people. Uh, but there are a lot of change going on. But are we in a crisis in leadership? We're certainly in a crisis in change, and I think in particularly art museums. Um, and, of course, I sit here in New York where there are four huge major art museums, and it's an anomaly in the museum world because most museums outside of big cities are smaller or mid-sized museums. Um, but here we're having lots of turnover um, in leadership, and part of it is from board leadership. That's interesting, and I'd like to follow up with you on that because it it is something that uh, I don't think we talk enough about Mm -hmm. is a shifting in board leadership and also what people expect their role to be on a board. Mm -hmm. Do you do... Well, I work work with boards in a variety of ways. Um, Sometimes they want to be a bigger, better board. Sometimes, unfortunately, I've worked recently with an executive committee of a board on how to amicably and humanely let a museum director go. That was not pleasant. Um, (laughs) um, And I work on boards when they have campaign fatigue, when they've just can't give any more, and et cetera. I do find that many boards say to me, um, just tell us what to do, you know, Um, and maybe we're not clear about what a board member's role is. I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do, right? I was working with a development uh, committee of a board in the Midwest, uh, which was very interesting, and that's what they, these two men kept saying to me. Just tell us what to do. That's all we need to do. We'll do whatever we can for this museum. So maybe we were not clear enough with individual board members about what their role is, about their role is to go out and bring in resources for the organization. I used to work with boards when, um, for hiring executive directors, and every time I spoke with a board, I'd say, well, so what are the main characteristics um, of the person you want here? It used to be leadership and vision. Nine times out of ten these days, it's fundraising, to which I say, you mean you want a partner in fundraising. (laughs) So I think sometimes we don't prepare boards enough for their roles. And they're also very much in the corporate sector or the private sector, and there's a disconnect. You know, there's a disconnect about salaries. Um, Somehow they feel that passion um, helps compensate the people who are working in the organization. And then the other thing is I think that the wider society feels that anyone can do what we do in museums. You know, that reminds me of when I first started my museum career, and I I worked in in Newark, uh, we were Mm -hmm. in the middle of a major renovation project, and every day was, you know, some some crisis. And uh, the New York Times Magazine came out with the uh, list of you know, top top lists, and one was the you know the most stressful jobs and the least stressful jobs, and about third on the list of ten of least stressful jobs was museum curator, uh-huh. and so. <laughs> 
it which, very, you know, just so drove yeah. that knife a little deeper as I'm spending, you know, 10 hours a day trying to move a collection and and yeah. plan for the, the, the renovation and the packing and all of that. And, and so I think, I think you're right. And I think it gets to that uh, of that people think that, that we can that anyone can do what we do. And I mm-hmm. and I often think that whenever I think I could do somebody else's job, I clearly don't know what that job is. <laughs> oh, that's true. And you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I often have people, and very often, um, from different sectors, um, or even on the art business side of things, on the selling of works of art or auctions and things like that, who come to us and, and come to me and they ask, they say, well, you know what, I, wanted, I want a more calm job. So I think I should work in a museum. Um, <laughs> I want something that's less stressful. So I should, you know, I think I can work in that environment. And that's so far from the truth, you know. And we do have a body of knowledge that needs to be learned. And I think that that's, you know, what people don't see that. I, yes, and I think it probably is, is that, that, uh, perception that nonprofit means non, no money. <laughs> no, well, yes, well, nonprofit does oftentimes mean no money, which doesn't add to the stress, but it's almost like then, then there's no, um, responsibility correct correct you know that yeah. we can just go along and and play with small children which I enjoy doing I love I <laughs> love teaching uh, 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 groups of kindergartners about dinosaur bones but that mm-hmm. uh, you know that there are a lot of other people that have to be working really hard to keep the lights on for me to come in and do a little bit of of uh, of, of teaching about Tyrannosaurus Rex right. and I think yeah, so I think that is I think so true. And I think maybe it's because, you know, unlike hospitals where people see that there are nurses and doctors and people doing things all the time and that they have these skills, when people walk into a museum, it's a different kind of place, you know. In an art museum, people just wander around. You don't really get to know what's really behind there, the teams, the amount of teams and resources that are needed to even hang a painting, you know, so... So I, I guess, um, and we may have already pretty much touched on this, but why, why don't you think, I, I mean, boards perhaps just haven't been uh, taught, uh, have not been given appropriate training to understand uh, what their role is. Oftentimes uh, someone uh, high, prestigious in the community uh, may come on a board because of their, their you know, civic uh, engagement, their civic desires or sense of duty. Uh, mm-hmm. So I suppose I can understand why they might not understand why uh, resources need to be put into staff training and continuing education mm-hmm. and increased compensation. But again, why do you think there seem to be so many museums uh, and you know, museum staff, museum directors, museum administrators that don't seem to get that either? Well, I per- perhaps some of it, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's perhaps some of it also is it seems that staff training or any kind of continuing professional development for staff um, is the first to go, right? And it probably is the first to go in private sector, too, although probably less so than it is in museums um, because you want to put your resources someplace else. Um, also, 
the first thing that happens when museums have a deficit, and may, this may happen in other organizations as well, is that they lay off staff. And so, you know, that needs to be carefully looked at. Like, the Met just has laid off 100 people. Part of it is, you know, attrition, and part of it is um, people who can get a package to retire. Um, but I'm not always sure. I think staff is your people are your most important, quote, product and resource. So I don't quite get the disconnect with boards. I'm always trying to really understand that. Um, I do think that... Um, you know, there are many more opportunities. I think we're better at it. I think there are better uh, opportunities for people. Certainly technology has offered people to take their own responsibility for learning what they do. Everyone has to be a lifelong learner, especially in our field. We're knowledge-based industry. And so you have to either get it online or get it in situ or, you know, do that. I remember people saying when I, you know, when I was in museums, well, I can't go to AAM meeting, I can't go to this regional meeting because my museum won't, won't uh, pay for it. And you know what? I, I went and paid for mine. So I think that's also in the person. But I do think that um, we're getting better at that. I also think HR departments in museums are getting better. They're not always about compliance anymore. I think they have some sense of employee relations. I think they do want to offer training opportunities if they can, at least to a certain level of staff, et cetera. So I think we're getting better at it, but we're still not there. You know, I think that is a, a very good point that things are, there are more uh, museum studies programs, uh, mm-hmm. uh, master's programs, certification programs, uh, distance learning programs. And while I personally, I have some concerns about the proliferation of so many <laughs> programs uh, uh, that are churning out uh, really capable people for such a small, you know, relatively small job pool, if you look at you know, all, all industries. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, I never thought of one of the positive signs of it is that it does show that there are standards, that there are certifications, that there are things that people can, can do that demonstrate their, uh, uh, their qualifications and their, mm-hmm. their, uh, their increased knowledge. And so that is probably something uh, that is a very positive change uh, in, yeah. in our field. Well, I, I tell you, so we're, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, more with Jerry Thomas talking about leadership, uh, diversity, and compensation. So please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, 
shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am here, as you know, with Jerry Thomas, president of Thomas & Associates, uh, a consulting firm uh, and placement firm for staffing, leadership, and uh, I'm and also uh, outplacement and transition services. And we will get to, uh, to that in a minute because I think it's a very interesting uh, component of what uh, Jerry's firm provides. Uh, but before that, Jerry, I know you, uh, you do a lot of uh, um, what I would call headhunting, helping clients hire and keep the right people. Um, how do you help them do that? Well, first of all, and this is certainly not a reprimand or anything, um, we never call ourselves headhunters. Okay. It's actually quite pejorative if you think about the term. Um, but we do recruit and we do look for top talent. Um, and people come to us um, for a variety of things. We just don't do executive leadership. We also work at the COO level, CFOs. We do administrative staff. Um, and um, one of the few organizations that do curatorial, uh, although curators come to museums in a lot of different ways. Interestingly, though, after all these years, I find that most people, in the end, want to hire people just like themselves. And even if they come to us and say, you know what, I'm a, I want a game changer. I want somebody who is different than everyone else in our development department. I want a closer type, let's say, or things like that. And in the end, we can bring those people to people, but not uh, to the board or to the executive leadership. Um, but in the end, people are comfortable with people just like themselves. And I think that that has to kind of change, especially for museums who are educational and service organizations for other constituents. Um, So, you know, we try to get them in the mode. We also have them, many people don't sort of know how to look at a resume or to um, think about a person's past. A lot of people look at something like, oh, he he or she went to Harvard. That's like the glow effect. 
you know, okay, so they went to Harvard. Let's get down into what they've accomplished, what their um, what is meaningful for the field here, and particularly for your organization. Um, you know, so I, I do think that we try to bring a diverse group of of uh, people. That means men, women, and diversity, and it's all of its types to the boards um, because there's so much talent out there. I just think people need the sort of the prism to be able to see and to get past, you know, what they're thinking and what they see on paper. Well, and it would seem to me uh, that, and, and just hearing hearing you talk and uh, about how you approach your work, I would think one of the most valuable things that you do is working with a board or, or a museum administration to help them articulate what it is they're looking for, what is what's their museum culture. Uh, I think that I think that that is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult for uh, us to talk about ourselves. I always mm-hmm. find that very challenging when I have to talk about my my role on the project uh, without just saying yes. And I was a member of the team, you know. But mm-hmm. what was you know uh, what are what are those attributes that I bring to a project? I just the converse is uh, for a a group to articulate. Well, here are the attributes that really are what we need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, we try to do that as as much as we can. Um, I do think, you know, we have about four generations working in the workplace now. And we're finding, particularly with, uh, let's just say, um, millennials or the group right above them, um, we're finding that their needs are different and that they're asking for different things. One of the things that the younger generation is looking for, and I hear it all the time and just heard from a couple of people yesterday, they're looking for mentors. And mentors means somebody who can advance me, somebody I can learn from, somebody I can challenge me. Um, And I think we have to pay attention to that. But I also think that they perhaps could use some guidance in, um, you know, in uh, some of the good things that, some of us older generation have to offer. Um, but their, their needs are a lot different than ours. They tend to like to um, make decisions in groups. Um, and so the more interaction that they have among staff, uh, among their own peers in the museum, or at the level above them or at leadership, is better for them. So I think that we can start thinking about them as they take over the, um, the field, um, but we have to really prepare everyone, and I think that we try to help that culture and try to ask a lot of questions um, about, you know, what is best for your, for you, for the staff, for the museum, um, but particularly for your audiences. Who's going to be the right person to deliver those services? That's very interesting uh, observations about the different uh, generations, and of course mm-hmm. there's a lot being written about that uh, just in general in business magazines and, mm-hmm. and, and industry magazines, but I, I think probably I would, my experience has been on the museum level because they're smaller. Uh, mm-hmm, they're they're mm-hmm. just the the differences and potential for misunderstanding is magnified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true, and you know they they're probably not going to they want to move in their career faster than I wanted to move in my career. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
They really do. So, you know, when, for instance, if some, somebody say, oh, well, that person, you know, they've had a lot of accomplishments, but they didn't stay there for very long. Well, you know, they don't anymore. They go on to moving to where they think they're going to learn the most. Um, so it's very interesting, this shift, I think. That is very interesting. Well, one of the other areas, and you mentioned it uh, in your work in New York, but you you are probably one of the few uh, practices that is involved in outplacement and transition services. Uh, yes. What percentage of your, your work um, uh, is involved in that particular uh, part mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of well, business? Well, certainly we'd like to do more of that, um, but that is really a small percentage of our business, although um, over the last two years our goal has been to uh, try to help museums understand that when they can afford outplacement services, most museums send them to the traditional outplacement services. They give them a Myers-Briggs test. Most of these people don't have arts and culture experience. So, for instance, a registrar, they just feel can do inventory. So, um, you know, we're really the kind of only firm who understands how to, what a registrar does and where we can place them. Or a curator, you know, they do the tests, they do the interests, they do the assessments, but it's very difficult for people um, in other outplacement firms, and there are a few huge ones that everyone knows, to be able to work with people who have worked in museums and those kinds of positions. So right now what we're doing is we're trying to make um, partnerships with those larger firms so that we can be the go-to people for the art people, for the history people, for the museum, you know, historic site people. Because uh, many of those services um, are frustrating for museum staff because they kind of don't get the culture. and they don't really know where to place people. So I think we're going to be doing more of that. So far we've done our placement um, for the Detroit Institute of Arts, of course, um, and we've done our placement for several Smithsonian uh, departments, and we've done our placement for actually two very interesting galleries who have that sort of leadership, um, who have that sort of let's, let's see what we can do for the staff who we have to lay off. You know, I, I having been through uh, two major layoffs, both as a, a muse, as museum administrators, one one uh, institution that actually uh, folded. Uh, it was truly the most difficult thing that I ever had to do, and I mm-hmm. tried to be as as humane and helpful as possible, and would have mm-hmm. welcomed. Uh, assistance in in mm-hmm. that area instead of just you know sort of shooting from the hip. Uh, it seems uh, and while we don't like to talk about it and we don't like to think that museums uh, you know have to shrink their staff and lay off people, it mm-hmm. also leaves such scars that I mm-hmm. think your services could really ameliorate for those who are left. Yeah. Uh, I I I know. Um, in one instance, it took us years to really recover from laying off ten percent of the staff due yeah, to uh, city budget cuts, and you just feel you feel terrible. And also, so much institutional memory goes away because yeah. we're still not sort of training people to take 
um, positions or um, understand what went before that role um, and to you know to progress on uh, with issues and ideas or work workload and so so much institutional memory leaves that everybody's sort of catching up again and that's why some of these same issues I think are arising and also people who are laid off you know they go through and for whatever reason they go through all of these stages almost all the time, they think it's their fault. They think, what, why, didn't I, why didn't I manage up better? Why didn't I make the better connections? It's my fault that I was let go. And then they go through the anger stage, and the, they come out of it um, realizing that there's still a future. And you're right. Those people who are left, they need to have work done, too. So we're trying, we haven't done any of that work for the people who are left yet. But that's, that's one of our goals for the next few years. So. Well, that's that is a a great resource, and I'm sure there will be there are people listening who will file that away for that time. They hope never happens, but it probably will. And so, remember uh, Thomas and Associates uh, when you there's there's someone out there to help you. Oh, so, so what what kind of career advice do you uh, give to people who are beginning their museum career? Well, first of all, um, we're very realistic. <laughs> um, and I think all my staff come from arts and culture. So, um, you know, I think we, we've got a good handle on, on, on the field and, and, you know, hopefully what it needs. But I think what the first thing is to, is to really understand yourself. Because people come, oh, I want, to work in, I want to work in museums, and I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this. But I think it goes back to first understanding who you are, even if you're just starting out. You know, what am I good at? What do I really love to do? You know, where am I the most effective? You know, um, what don't I like to do? Do I like large organizations? Do I like small organizations? Um, you know, do I like to be the person behind the scenes? And I, am I an upfront person? So we try to get to some core of what people do and are interested in. Even, you know, people just starting out, you know, they've interned places or something like that. And so we do try to spend some time with them understanding where they'd like to go. And, you know, you, you you can go in a variety of ways. There's much, so much to do in the industry. And then, you know, we have people who have, who have jumped from here to there to there because it's been interesting work to do. And then a little bit when they're older, 40s or their 50s even here, um, they realize that compensation isn't enough for them and that all of the things they used to like to do are going to younger generational um, people. So we try to get people initially to really think about what that red thread is, as I said. What really in your life is enjoyable and that you're good at? How you can contribute the most? Um, because most people in, who are wanting to work in museums really love the idea, not just for themselves, but they do like the idea of, of being um, you know, an educational and a service organization. So we try to see what people... Um, are uh, good at. I had a, um, a young woman in here yesterday who I've known for quite a while and placed her in a position. And she, you know, was thinking of this and this and this and this. And I said, and she said, oh, and I've, I've been thinking about what I want to do in five years or ten years. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, I really want to work in museum development. And I said, well, let's start there. You don't have to wait for five or ten years. Let's just start there. 
So I think that they're, you know, and we also then try to be realistic, especially yes. people coming from private sector, you know, and we'll say something, it's, you know, um, people in marketing and things like that and some finance, although museum finance is a little different than profit finance, but still, um, you know, they're, yes. uh, some of them are just not aware, you know, and they'll say, well, I will know I need to take a salary cut. And I usually say, well, you know how much of a salary cut you need to take. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably a stopper. Well, Jerry, this has been so fabulous. And I, I, uh, I'm, I'm always sorry when the show ends. Uh, oh, me too. All of my guests, but this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Carol, for everything, and you do such good work, and um, I hope to see you soon. Yes, uh, um, I, I do the same. Uh, and we will be back next week with another program, so please stay tuned. Uh, and remember, let me know what you're thinking about. Let me know what topics you think the museum profession should uh, be engaged in and thinking about. Until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732 
380-7271. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and in particular how it relates to the lucrative New York market But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. We are coming to you live from New York City as usual. Um, In the news today, former New Yorker and Vanity Fair editor Tina Brown listed a six-bedroom triplex on East 57th Street for $9.75 million. The apartment which Brown shared with her husband, uh, journalist uh, Harold Evans, has seen a number of famous dinner guests over the years, including women's rights advocates and former U.S. President Bill Clinton and former U.K. uh, Prime Minister Tony Blair. Brown and Evans brought the property at 447 East 57th Street, a six 16-floor co-op with just 23 apartments for $3.8 million almost 20 years ago and spent about a million dollars on renovations. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, the apartment includes an outdoor garden. With the children grown, the media power couple plan to relocate to a smaller apartment. The 